from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast. Ben Grant joined as always by JB and things are starting to heat up in the world of CFL football. It is rookie minicamp eve. Also training camp is just a few days away and we've got a jam-packed show for you. Here is what is on the docket. The Argos have introduced a new helmet for 2023 and it is beautiful. The CFL made a number of small rule tweaks. We'll address those. Also, we're going to tell you whether or not we think the Argos are better or worse than they were last season. And we'll kind of take a look at how they stack up against the other teams in the CFL's East Division. And we are going to give you our preseason power rankings, which, if history is any indication, are very hit and miss. And I've buried the lead as usual. I will also be talking to Argos play-by-play voice and manager of communication, Mike Hogan, about what it was like in the Argos war room on draft day. He wrote a great article about it on argonauts.ca. And I'm going to ask him about these, these little blue helmets too. So we'll get to that later on in the show. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. This episode is brought to you by Something in the Water, our title sponsor for the 2023 season. I got a chance this weekend, beautiful weather, to go out to Liberty Village and visit with Something in the Water. I came away super impressed, just getting a a tour of their entire facility, seeing where they do all their brewing, uh, seeing the the seating area and the patio outside and on such a, a beautiful day. It was awesome. Also, a chance to sample a few things, uh, including this guy here. And this one's this one's available in uh, the LCBO. This is Hazy Maitland IPA. It's a hazy IPA, uh, and it, it is it's awesome. But what I love about all the something in the water beer is that they can't just like go and brew a beer. It has to win an award. Everything they do seems to either win a a provincial and national or a world award. Uh, they're they're stout, which is also pretty fantastic. Uh, got a silver medal uh, for a global competition for stouts. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, their their stuff is fantastic. So if you get a chance to go down there on a nice sunny day, especially, we got a lot of those coming up. Make sure you drop by Something in the Water on Liberty Village. And uh, yeah, give it a shot. Let us know Let us know what you think as well, because we're, we're really excited to have them uh, on board this season. And we'll definitely be spending a lot of time down there. JB, let's get into let's get into the the heart of the podcast here by talking about this this helmet. And if you're watching on YouTube, I've got a replica mini version of this helmet in front of me. Uh, initial thoughts: What do you think? Uh, uh, well, I liked the baseball cap version of it that I saw. Um, yeah, it, it's good. I mean, it's got that uh, baby blue vibe. I guess it's hard to judge without seeing the rest of the uniform. Um, but uh yeah i i think i think it looks good i i mean i don't think it looks cool but i think it looks good if that makes sense i think it looks really cool it's the the cambridge blue <laughs> which they have it's so the cambridge blue is their base now and so that is the you know if you were to say what what color is the helmet the helmet is cambridge blue and then the the oxford blue only shows up on the the boat logo so they've got the same boat logo design with the white sail not the sort of classic uh, boat logo with the brown football but the but the oxford blue football and the white sail i just think what i love about the light helmet is that 
everything just jumps out at you. You can see the logo so well. And I, I like the contrast. Initially, I was wondering if if they should have gone with the white face mask with it. But I think it's I think they're correct ultimately in sticking with the the Oxford blue face mask as well. So I think it's a winner. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I ask uh, Hoagie about about the helmets as well, because I'm sure he was he was in on this and and knew a lot about it before we ever got wind of this happening. Because I I didn't know anything. I didn't know they were coming out with a new helmet, new uniforms, and those I guess are going to be released probably in the in the next couple of weeks. Certainly before there's a game. So and we're only a couple of weeks away from games. So yeah, I'm excited to see these helmets in action. Excited to see the new uniform too. They've really yeah, teased wanna, it well. I want to wait till I see the whole package before I, I I formally weigh in. That's fair. You can judge a helmet on its own though. Like I have opinions on how you I love helmets as as you know. You're less a helmet guy, I think. <laughs> I mean, you are certainly more a helmet guy than I am, um, judging by the number of helmets that you own. Um, so uh, I defer to your your helmet uh, knowledge. Let's get into these rule changes, JB. So no major changes. Unlike the last couple of years, it was really just tweaks. I was really happy about that because you and I both agreed at the end of last season, we talked about, we did a segment on what should change for next year. And we didn't really have much to say because we both loved the game they had last year, the style of play they had last year. Yeah, I th- we. I mean, and I think it it is um, impressive that they are not, um changing any of their rule changes i mean i think their rule changes did exactly what they hoped for um and you know did not have a radical impact but had um some subtle improvements you know i i would say hats off to the league for for bringing in decent rules you don't i mean you don't want to be changing rules all the time then you're like what you're like some kind of xfl carnival league you know, you you have rules. You let the rules play out for a couple of years before you make a decision about taking them away. And and I I don't see that happening because I thought the rule changes last year uh, worked. And that's just it. Let the like let the XFL do rule changes. That's great. I love I love that the XFL does that. It's one of my favorite things about the XFL is that they'll try new stuff. The CFL doesn't have to. They've got an exciting brand of football that's been around forever. Right. Exactly. So, we don't we don't need to be a carnival. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, you know, take thing if they come up with something great, awesome. Take it. Use that. But yeah, they don't they don't need to make major adjustments. So here are the rule changes this year. Uh, rule number one, which which most people didn't know, but I only learned about a couple of years ago just because I ran into the situation, which is they're now going to give the defensive team an option on a holding call in the end zone. They can now choose for it to be a safety. And that wasn't previously a CFL rule. It is a rule in, in almost every other brand of football where if there's holding in the end zone, then that uh, counts as a safety. So in the CFL, it was just simply you can accept or decline the penalty. And the the ridiculous thing about that, though, is that if you're on the one yard line already, then where's the incentive not to hold on every play? Because what's the punishment? It's, it's nothing. So I, I think this rule change just is common sense. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think like a lot of people, well, I can only speak for myself. I just assumed it was the same as the NFL. Um, you know, I would say from an organizational point of view, this sounds like, uh, uh, you know, bookkeeping. You know, this is a change that we should have made years ago, and now we're going to clean it up. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it only makes sense that you have that rule. 
And I'm trying to remember if it came into play with the Argos Alouettes game last year on where, when the Argos clinched the East Division. I feel like that may have been in play, but remember the, the broadcast got a, a little bit shaky. We missed a play somewhere in there where a, a safety was called. I, I believe it was a kneel down in the end zone out of pump formation, but I think the play before there may have been a holding call in the end zone, uh, but I, I can't quite remember, so I don't want to commit to that. But that's the only time I can think of that coming up or even close to coming up recently. The next rule is um, no more than six players on either side of the center for a field goal or PAT. So basically with your 12 guys on the field, the, the most you can overload one side, well, you can't really overload one side, right? Like six guys on one side, six guys on the other, if you wanted to go complete flat line block defense. Um, but usually you've got a safety back there. So it's going to mean you're going to have five on one side, uh, six on the other. Um, what's the, what's the motivation for this change? Cause I, I don't really see it. No, I don't, I don't either. Uh, I, I guess they're looking to increase the safety of the punter and well, the, the kicker. Oh, you mean for like the holder? Because this is just for field goals and PATs, not for pump formation. Oh, I thought it was all, it was all specials. No, I think it's just field goals and PATs. I think that's it. But I, that, but that's why, like, because it would make more sense, like, if it were out of punt formation, I I do get that more. But uh, still, I'm not I'm not sure where this is coming from. No, I I don't understand either. I mean, but certainly there were no issues with place kickers being hurt last year. Um, the the line is not going to get hurt with an overload. Uh, I I don't know I I don't know what has has drawn that attention other than. People were annoyed that maybe it was um, too easy to almost block a point after. Well, there were two I mean, in the Grey Cup; those were pretty you know, important. I, I I guess that that you know that that that's it. That special teams coordinators felt like it was. I mean, to some extent, it is unfair that they're allowed to do it. I mean, you can't you know you can't line all your receivers up on one side. I guess from a special teams point of view, they felt like. This was an unfair advantage for the uh, for the 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 field goal block team, uh, point after block team. So you know, I guess they wanted to kind of even that out. But I, I I didn't think we saw a run of of field goal blocks. No, me neither. And I I feel like if you're kind of taking options out of the offense's hands too, because if you are going to line up an overload, let's say you're gonna you're gonna put eight or even nine uh, guys on one side, then a lot of teams will have a, a check that you can go to. We can call a fake anytime we see something like this. We can we can just run it out to the to the empty side and we should have we should we definitely will have uh, man advantage. So, you know, I, I think that sort of takes the excitement out of that part of it, too. I I don't have a problem with it. The number of times we're going to see this actually come into play, I, I can't even imagine we would notice. But I just thought it was a strange rule change is all. The third one is uh, rouge on a kickoff. This I am intrigued by. A rouge on a kickoff. So the rule previously heading into this season was that on a kickoff, the rouge rules aren't the same as they are on a missed field goal or on a punt. On In those situations, the ball goes through the back of the end zone. It's 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 a rouge, a single point. On kickoff, the returner had to actually touch it. Uh, before it would be a ruse. So either they could touch it and it goes out of bounds or they touch it and take a knee or get tackled in the end zone, then it would result in a rouge. But now if you kick the ball straight through the end zone, you're getting a single point for that. 
Uh, do you think this is going to change the game at all? Mm, no, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I guess it's potentially you would have teams attempting to kick it through the end zone and um, players feel like they, you know, you're, you outkick your coverage and returners now are, are going to be a little more, um, you know, uh, excited to try and come out because they feel like they've got 10 yards of running room before they run into a gunner. Uh, so if you're trying to increase uh, kick returns, I think it has it has that potential. I don't I don't see really any other reason for it um, other than it makes it harder to to get a, a rouge in some ways to kick it all the way out of the end zone. I, I don't know. I don't know what they uh, I don't know what they're looking at there. Again, the, these seem to be really like certain general managers pet peeves and because there was no heavy lifting to do they felt like this was the year to make a few tweaks that just really bothered like one guy see i think this one would change the way that i approach the game because i think just looking at boris Beatty's kickoffs right like he can't on a on a calm day he's not going to kick it through the back of the end zone but we've seen him do it with a bit of wind at his back and generally he's not trying to because you don't really want to outkick your coverage you don't want to you know absolutely rocket it into the back of the end zone and give them extra seconds to get momentum going and and right i, I think that speed. i think the i guess temptation if one point is temptation that that would be my thought that the, the temptation to try and turn touchdowns into eight-point plays maybe um, has you doing that and, and that increases kick return. And it depends to me, like, I guess, how much do you value that single point over the Rouge field position? I think on a kickoff, you would take the single point every time if you could because, you know, bringing it out, it usually comes out just about that far on a kick return anyway. So... It's not like on a, in a punt, in a punting situation, you'd much rather be downed at the five yard line or something than it go into the end zone for a single. But in a kickoff situation, you'll take that single. I wonder if it might even be worth a roster spot. And I know that's a serious thing in the CFL. Roster spots are you know not to be wasted. But would it be worth a roster spot to get and just an absolute kickoff stud, a guy who can't kick field goals to save his life, has absolutely no accuracy, can't punt, can't do anything else, but he happens to have just a cannon of a leg. Every time you get a touchdown, if he's got a chance to add an extra point on that kickoff, I think I burn a roster spot for that extra point every time. I think it's worth it if you can find someone like that. And I bet you could. I bet you could find a guy that could just pummel the ball through the end zone. Now, would he come to Canada from wherever he is right now to play for a CFL team to only do that for probably not too much money? I don't know. But I would I would look into that for sure. That's what strikes me <laughs> so on this rule change. In your mind, the crowd is going crazy, cheering uh, cheering on kickoff for Rouge. Are they chanting Rouge at the same time? Yeah, everybody. Like Rouge, in Rouge, 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 Rouge. And that would, of Rouge. course, also be the kickoff specialist's nickname, right? <laughs> Rouge, old Rouge would come out there to, to yeah, belt well, it there through you go. the end zone. The, the CFL strikes gold again. Well, I, I do remember talking to Klaus Wilmsmeyer, a Canadian Super Bowl winner, uh, kicker uh, who played for for Louisville and then won a Super Bowl for the for the 49ers. Uh, he talked about in his high school days 
that you could kick the ball through the end zone and get a rouge in the high school league in which he played. And he said that every single touchdown that his team scored in high school resulted in eight points because he had a cannon. And in the high school rules, they're kicking it off from like the 45-yard line. And so he would just belt it through the end zone every play, which, uh, you know, that that's a massive advantage because every touchdown you score, the other team's now got to go for two unless you've also got a rouge guy of your own. <laughs> the rouge, a rouge war. The next couple of rule changes, uh, touchbacks, um, essentially now for kicks that go off the uprights or interceptions in the end zone or fumble recovery in the end zone. That didn't used to come all the way up to the 30 and now it will. So it gives you an extra 10 yards of, of field position, which I think that's an I think that's a fair change. Uh, so it doesn't really again the number of incidents we're we're talking about this happening a few times a season and you're it's not like you're getting an extra 50 yards but it's a small tweak but i think it makes sense um you know you i don't think you can see any harm in in that rule and no no i don't I, 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 again these all i i would say on the on the whole these are all far less dramatic than last year's were yeah, it's just someone saying, "Hey, why don't we bring this ball out further when it goes off the uprights?" Like, I don't know. All right, right. Let's, that's let's what do I'm it. saying. It was, you know, we had no real. They had no real uh, fight, so everybody went deep into their uh, into their dream journals and and drew out the play they wish they could fix. And teams now can dress a number zero and a number double zero, but not both. That is another <laughs> rule that seems just like a another another deep dive, but. Uh, this apparently is more for stat keeping reasons. Uh, I guess maybe stat programs not differentiating between zero and double zero. So again, it's just someone saying, can we not have a zero and a double zero? Okay, fine. Let's put that through. All right, JB, let's get into our next segment, which is breaking down uh, the Toronto Argonauts in terms of this year versus last year. We knew last year was a pretty good team. We both feel like this year's Argos are also a pretty good team. Uh, the question is, are they as good as last year? So looking at the major changes, there are a number of new faces, not as many as some other teams around the league, but this is a team that lost McLeod Bethel-Thompson to the USFL in a, in a way. Uh, lost Philip Blake to Saskatchewan and Juwan Breskison as well. Jaguar Davis, defensive lineman's in Hamilton, along with linebacker Chris Edwards. Uh, Justin Lawrence, uh, last year's center, is in Montreal. And of course, Jamal Peters off to Atlanta in the NFL. And a few guys remain unsigned, like Shane Ray, Shaq Richardson, Eric Rogers, uh, Fabian Foote. These guys uh, all still on the, on the market. And so... That's a lot of losses, uh, although I'll temper some of those by looking at the fact that, you know, Breskison really didn't play too much last year. Justin Lawrence was in because of Nicastro, who's healthy again. So it's really not what it looks like when you look at some of those losses. And then the guys they've brought in are, uh, in a lot of cases, improvements. You've got Darius Pickett uh, for the Sam spot, Jordan Williams, who... He's an amazing backer, and I don't even know what his spot is. Uh, maybe backing up at both Mac and Will. Um, Flo Aramilade, who is probably the best defensive lineman in the league. And then, of course, Villamazar and, and Sirocco, Costigan, uh, David Ungerer from Hamilton. So overall, JB, how do, you, how do you view this team, the 2023 Argos, when you look at them compared to the 2022 version that won the Grey Cup? Uh, hmm... It's interesting. I, 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 it's hard to come down one way or the other. I, I think on the whole, defensively, they are, you know, much stronger in their, 
in their front eight, uh, but weaker in the back end at defensive back. Um, offensively, you know, losing losing Macbeth is huge because whatever his flaws, he was still a veteran quarterback who could be counted on when things went up and down as they do in the CFL. And, you know, he was a winner and he, he proved that all season. There, I don't think there's any, well, there probably is underestimating of the impact of losing him. I think if you lose your starting quarterback, uh, that's a big deal. That's a big loss. But, I mean, we'll see. Kelly has lots of potential, but he's still a rookie, essentially. Um, so that that that's a big loss. But but you know we have the two running backs back. Um, you know they 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 brought back the receivers. Um, so it, it it's kind of like plus and minus. I think at at the you know uninterestingly, kind of adds up to a wash. Uh, you know, you lose Shaq and Edwards and Peters. That's a big loss. But then, like, adding Williams uh, is huge. I mean, he's amazing. Like, I think he's going to, you know, he could be he could be the the national player of the of the year. Like he that it's a big deal to add him. Like BC definitely did not want to get rid of him. So um, I'm I am cautiously optimistic that the team can can kind of hold um its its record while uh Chad uh Kelly becomes a little acclimatized to being the starting quarterback I think defensively they're in pretty good shape um I'd rather have a strong front eight than a strong back end in the CFL so uh, it really will come down to can Kelly can Kelly limit the number of turnovers he has? He has a veteran wide receiver crew. Um, they have the same coordinators coming back. Um, they, you know, if he is willing to play within himself, the way Macbeth learned to, then I think yes. I think if Kelly tries to be a gunslinger, it's going to be a problem because you know this, it's not a team built to to overcome two three turnovers right i mean they weren't last year and i i don't see any reason to believe that they're going to be a shoot the lights out offense team this year yeah i I agree with pretty much everything you said and i think that chad kelly is the is the x factor because he's the one and probably the only one that can really change the course of this season because like you said i think we have to look at quarterback as a downgrade even though I'm the first one to say Chad Kelly's ceiling is higher than McLeod Bethel-Thompson's ever was. But, McLeod but the floor Bethel is Thompson, much lower. Yeah, the floor is, is is way lower. We saw what McLeod was these last two seasons. We know what that was. He was an excellent quarterback last year, a very good quarterback the year before. You, you just can't, uh, people argue it, but you can't. It doesn't make any sense. And Chad Kelly, we just don't know. We think, we've seen the ability. We know the potential is sky high. But will we see that in his first year as a starter in the CFL? I don't know. And so if we do, then the Argos are going to be excellent. If we don't, then they could be fighting for a playoff spot. So that, that's a really big swing for one player. But quarterback does that. It's the only position where you're going to see swings of that magnitude. And so that really uh, kind of trumps everything else. Like the rest of the team, like you said, the, the DBs, I don't think are going to be quite as strong as they were last year. I don't think you can really argue that. Um, they The guys they added uh, are... Like Darius Pickett, I think is actually better than than Chris Edwards. I know you're on the fence on that one, 
but I, I think he... Well, I think he's, he's more consistent. Yes. And so I don't think there's, you know, the Chris Edwards, you know, you hate to lose Chris Edwards, but I think they they made up for that with, with Darius Pickett and possibly more. But, you know, the rest, we don't really have an answer for Shaq. There's not really an answer for Jamal Peters. There's some potential, like, like Parnell Motley and, uh, you know, a few of the other guys they brought in. But again, we don't know. They're question marks. And then you look at the, the D-line is an upgrade because you've got Aromalade, who, as I said, like he's he's one of the best players in the league. And the linebacker, yeah. like you talked about with Williams. like So it, it's going to end up being a wash, but it could go either way, depending on what we see from Chad. Kelly. Yeah, like I think the front eight is improved for sure. I mean, they, oh, yeah. you know, like it it is younger, it is faster. Uh, I'm I'm expecting, and, and I think we talked about this, I'm expecting them to be more aggressive um, in the front end in terms of games and 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 getting after the quarterback because the back end is going to be not not as polished as it was last year. I think the the team that is going to give Toronto the most trouble in the East this year is Hamilton. And I know they struggled record-wise last year, but they weren't nearly as bad a team as their record indicated last season. They had some really bad luck, some some heartbreaking, or it might not have been heartbreaking for Argos fans, but uh, some heartbreaking losses for Ticat fans, certainly. some that, that strange fumble against Calgary right at the end of the game. There's a few others like those that uh, really skewed their record. They've lost a lot of guys, added a ton of guys. I think it's going to balance out in the positive for them. But I just want to go through a couple, uh, uh, I guess, big names that were added and lost. They they basically lost their defensive backfield. So you got Siante Evans, who's now in Montreal. Uh, uh, Jamal Roll in Montreal as well. Kariel Brooks is in Ottawa. That's a lot of turnover in the defensive backfield. Uh, and they lost a lot of receivers too. Stephen Dunbar to Edmonton. Lamar Durant to Ottawa. David Unger to Toronto. And so with all that turnover, uh, they needed to bring in some impact guys. And I think they did. Bo Levi Mitchell, at quarterback. We don't know which Bo this was. Last year's Bo Levi Mitchell wasn't that frightening. But uh, we've, you know, we've seen what, what he can do in the CFL in the past. They brought in Chris Edwards from the Argos, of course, and, and Jameer <laughs> Thurman like that. That linebacking core between those between those three guys, uh, yeah, so I Simone think, Lawrence, Jameer Thurman, Chris Edwards, that's, that's, that's almost as good as, as Toronto's top three backers. Uh, right. I think Argos fans are going to have to come to terms with the fact that Edwards is definitely going to have an interception and definitely is going to have a sack in the first game against Toronto. And dance he, all over the logo. <laughs> yeah. He will be blue flame Chris Edwards, but calm. It, it'll it'll revert back to the mean. But that first game, I, I hope they scheme up for him because he is coming out of a cannon for Chad Kelly. Do you agree they're going to be better this year? Uh, Hamilton, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, they just started really poorly. And then I don't know what was going on. They had two quarterbacks and it just was really a terrible first like six or seven games for them. And then... When we thought that they were dead, remember they we just couldn't put the dagger in them. Um, they're going to be good. I think Dane Evans is is uh, you know going um, going to lead that. I mean, I think Butler is a great addition. 
Yeah, I think like Bo Levi Mitchell over Dane Evans is like that's that's such a I, I think that alone is an attitude change. Like, yeah, we, no, we, we I liked, mean, we like Dane Evans. Um, he, but, well, but I mean, I like Dane Evans less than the other guys who are kind of like him in the league. Um, you know, like I like Trevor Harris a little more than Dane Evans and they're, he's, they're kind of the same dude. But Bo Levi Mitchell, I would say is, is, is yeah, a step I up. mean, that's the interesting thing about, about Bo Levi is, you know, just because he's gone somewhere new does not mean it's a rebirth. It's true. You know, I, I do wonder what he has left in the tank. So that, that's the big question for Hamilton is, does he have one more season in that arm? It, it did not look like it last year. Um, I think Butler is a nice ad. They get Jagger Davis back. Um, they lost Micah Johnson. I think is 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 big. I think that they will be fine, but I don't see them challenging Toronto for first place. I I think that they will be. I think they will be the strongest competitor in the East, but still in a tier below Toronto. I think that's fair, and I think it's going to be decided by the. F- 15 games they play against each other. That's what it will come down to. <laughs> if only the league, if only we could just let Toronto and Hamilton play over and over again to decide the East. Yeah, welcome um, to the last we, four seasons. We know. Um, yeah, I, once again, a Hamilton-heavy schedule. Um, you know, but looking at Hamilton, I, it does remind you how Toronto has not signed a veteran quarterback. Um, so that's an yeah. interesting aspect is, is, uh, I mean, well, I, I guess we have in. the youngest, the... I guess we have the youngest, like who, who else has a young quarterback? Well, but uh, the, these guys aren't young. Like, like they're just inexperienced. Like, um, you know, you've got, you've got three guys who I think all are potentially or I guess I would excellent. say who else in the CFL has an inexperienced quarterback? Yeah, they, there's no one like that. But but again, it's the young is we, we perceive it that way. Um, but and like Cameron Dukes is the only young quarterback on on the, the in the quarterback room. Uh, ben Holmes is 28. Chad Kelly 29. Yeah. Brian Scott, who I think could be really interesting, is 27. Um, but it's it's those three guys. Like those are those are the guys that are that are going to be out there but really they've gone all in on Chad Kelly and if 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 something were to happen to Chad Kelly I really think they would make a move they 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 would have to I think it, you have it, to at I that mean, stage it, it's an interesting conversation for sure at least I think it's interesting I guess it's a bit uh presumptuous of me to say that but um you look around the league the the Argos are definitely zagging because you could argue teams are just bringing on old war horses again and it's the same old names in new places but you look around the league it's a league you know you got Harris and Fajardo uh um you know Bo Levi musical I mean, chairs teams teams seem really disinterested in starting a quarterback who doesn't have experience around the league yeah, Vernon Adams true. right like yep. they want guys that have film so it It'll be very interesting. I think anytime you do something nobody else in the league is doing, uh, sometimes you're, you know, sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not. Let's talk about the Ottawa Red Blacks because I think they could be a sneaky, dangerous team this year. They didn't really lose that much at all. They lost, they lost Caleb Evans, uh, but, you know, they're getting their own quarterback back. Um, they lost Sirocco to Toronto, Kwaku Boteng to Hamilton. Jack but- Evans was a nice pickup for them. 
Yeah, like they, I thought they had some some really nice pickups, and they've got a few guys unsigned too. Like Darvin Adams is still unsigned, I think. Uh, Shaq Johnson as well. Uh, I think Ukembre Williams retired, uh, the offensive lineman. But yeah, the guys they brought in, so they basically kept everybody, and then brought in Santos Knox from Hamilton. They brought yeah. in Milanovic Litre, the the fullback, uh, who's fun, and Kariel Brooks, one of my favorite Hamilton DBs. Uh, is now in Ottawa, you know, having him next to Sherrod Baltimore, I think is is kind of a, a fun combo. So they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. And of course, uh, having a healthy quarterback in Jeremiah Masoli is, is going to help more than any of those additions. But um, they're, I think they're going to be dangerous. They're not only going to win at home this year. Um, I think I think Ottawa's making the playoffs this year. Huh. Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I love Knox not being in Hamilton anymore. God, just a tackle machine. I I think that is, you know, that you know, we didn't touch on it, but that that is definitely a hole for Hamilton. I know maybe they felt no, they was... brought in Thurman though, right? Like like yeah. Thurman's one of the best backers in the league. The the thing is like it is, I know, it... but like I I just felt Knox was underappreciated. I mean, he, he just had was... Toronto's number. He, and he had Toronto's number, right? Yeah. So just from an Argos perspective, like, you know, I didn't need to see another 11 tackle game from Knox. That's true. Um, so now he's in Ottawa. We'll see. I mean, they may have felt like he was he was getting a little older. Uh, I worry a little bit, Ottawa, sometimes when teams are, are having an upswing at the end of one year, uh, that plays into this is a hot and upcoming team, and that upswing at the end of last year doesn't really mean anything. But uh, Mazzoli is a good quarterback if he stays healthy. Uh, they don't really have much of a running game. Um, so defensively, I think they're improved. But I, I don't think they're defensively. You look at them defensively, better. But is it good? I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not on the Ottawa train, uh, I'd have to say. I think... I think that uh, Ottawa did not make enough changes for me to to dig him out of the basement. All right, let's move on to the Alouettes, and I I have a hard time seeing how the Alouettes are going to be a good football team this season. I just I don't see it at all. They lost so many guys, and a lot of it was due to the ownership mess, uh, where there was there, everyone was sort of in limbo and. And everybody just started jumping ship. And the guys they lost, like during that stretch, um, you, they, they lost, uh, they lost. well, obviously, Trevor Harris, uh, Darius Pickett, uh, Geno Lewis, like just those three guys alone, yeah, uh, Mika Awe. Uh, and then add to that some of those role players too, like uh, Chris Schlugger, the offensive lineman, who was a starting, starting tackle last year. He's gone as well. Uh, Jake Wenicke is in Saskatchewan. Mike Jones in BC, uh, Dominic Davis, who uh, also was was irritating to defend those short yardage plays against. He's in BC, so that's a ton of losses. And yeah, they brought guys in. They brought in like the Hamilton defensive backfield and Siante Evans and, and Jamal Roll, but uh, Greg Ellingson, receiver, like that. Yeah, it's not that's not nothing. And and obviously Cody Fajardo is. Um, he's had success as, I, as a quarterback. I, I mean, to be honest, I, I mix up all these like um, used tire uh, quarterback dudes um, around the league as they sort of all take a turn moving one team to the right. It does um, feel like so, that. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, Dane Evans isn't there. He's there. Oh, Frank, you know, Harris isn't here. He's here. It's like, 
I don't know. They're all the same guy to me. Um, you know, is Fajardo, I agree with you, like, is Fajardo better than Levi Mitchell? Um, you know, probably not. You know, I think he's he's probably a high high floor, low ceiling guy. Like, what you know, he's going to win, you know, I, I don't think he's going to light the world on fire. So I do agree. I, I don't like Montreal very much. I get, I mean, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I trust the Montreal Brain Trust. To... That's the thing. Like, if you trust the, like, it's sort of like we've talked about with Calgary over the years. Like, if you trust the operation, then yeah. you have to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. But but I think, like, they're worse at linebacker. They're worse at quarterback. They're worse at receiver. They're worse at DB. I, I don't, maybe you can argue DB, but I, I don't know. Um, they don't, they I mean, don't if have... Ellington can stay healthy... Yeah, but is that so? That's what's scaring you is like Fajardo Tellingson. If that's if that's what you have to worry about as a DC each week, I think you're like you're okay with that. So I mean, you know, I guess they can you know really (laughs) hope to get a lot from their backfield. Yeah, well, they're going to have to run. They have to be able to run the ball, and we just haven't seen any evidence to this point that a rushing attack in the CFL is enough to make a difference. So we'll see. Maybe maybe Montreal will prove us wrong. Yeah, I mean that's. Pro- I think that's probably where I'm leaning. Is I'm going to lean with those guys over Ottawa, but just. Speaking of proving us wrong, it's time for the power rankings. JB, we only do Oof. a couple power rankings each year. Last year we had a lot of it right, and then we got some really wrong. I think you had BC as the worst team in the league, and then they were the best <laughs> team in history through the first half of the season. Well, I I didn't know that Haley's comet was going to blow through the sky unexpectedly. And I think I had Calgary being terrible or something like that. There was we we made a mess of the bottom half of of our power rankings. But let's see what we got this year. So we'll go from we'll go from nine, work our way up. JB, I'll start. My number nine is uh, Les Alouettes de Montréal. I I think they're in trouble. I I can't see I can't see any I can't see them being better consistently over a, an entire season than any other team in the league for reasons I just outlined. Where are you going for number nine? Uh, I have uh, your Edmonton Elks uh, at the bottom. No, no um, faith in you. You're a Chris Jones guy, though. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I am. Um, I, I, I did like him when he came in. Um, you know, mid-season, I thought that was a nice kind of injection. But there, <laughs> there was nothing in watching Edmonton last year that made me felt like I was watching the construction of an empire. It didn't um, feel like it. It's true. It, it felt like a mid-season coaching change. What <laughs> it felt like. Uh, I don't. I don't love Edmonton. Um, I. I don't think they're very good. I don't like their quarterback. Uh, I. I agree. I think Montreal has some issues, but I think the. I think the East is a little easier than the West. So I, I give Edmonton until, you know, until proven otherwise, I, I have Edmonton at the bottom. Why? Where do you have Edmonton? So I have them at my number eight. And so that's yeah, where okay. we'll go next. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be great. I, I just I think they'll be better than last year, uh, although positionally, I guess they're they're not. It's just that now the now the Alouettes are the Red Blacks. But, yeah, I've got them in at number eight. And is that where you have Montreal? Yeah. Okay, so we got the same bottom two. So obviously, this would be a good time. I, I go for... back and I go back. I mean, I would say like again, we talk tiers. I have Ottawa, Edmonton, Montreal in my bottom tier. And I think Ottawa's. I think Ottawa's in a different tier this year. I think they've moved out of that bottom tier. 
Um, but again, knowing how this goes, Edmonton and Montreal are going to be playing in the Grey Cup based on our 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 history. <laughs> yeah, well, so I have those three. I mean, you, you can you can flip a coin, and one can be last, and one can be third last. But to me, like um, seven, eight, nine are those three teams. I don't I don't think that I don't think you're going to get a full season from Mazzoli, and uh, I don't think the other two teams are very good. So you've got Ottawa at seven. Yes. Uh, I've got Saskatchewan at seven. I think the Riders well, are going to be better, but I just think I think there's so much like in the West. It's it's to me in the West is Winnipeg and then everyone else really jumbled together. I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I just think Saskatchewan's got so many important new pieces, including uh, in the coaching staff. And while it's actually a team that I quite like construction wise, they're going to take time, and I just don't think you have time. I think by the time they start gelling, it might be too late uh, with what, you know, with what uh, uh, Calgary and, and, uh, and Winnipeg, BC uh, are going to be doing out there. I, I just don't think you're going to be able to catch up at that point. And I don't think you're going to have an extra playoff spot waiting for you because the East is certainly better than it has been in the past. So I think Saskatchewan ends up in, in seventh. So that's my bottom three. But I will say... Ottawa is next for me. In that same tier for me as Saskatchewan, I've got Ottawa at six. I'm interested to hear who your six is. Um, my six is Calgary. Really? Okay. No, um, no faith. I know they've lost a lot of pieces, but you, you've talked a lot about how much you like their plan <laughs> I, year to year. Yeah, I'm. And, I'm and they burn us every on, time. I'm, they always I'm burn us. I'm cooling on that a little bit. I, I, I did not love their off season. No, uh, and nobody I did. did not, but... I mean, other than playing the Argos, I did not love the regular season. Um, you know, I I don't I don't see them. They're sort of. I'm not sure what they are. They're just sort of. They're just sort of blah. They're not. They're not particularly exciting, but they're not terrible. Um, you know, I, I they're they're definitely in a rut. Uh, I you know that that I don't I don't feel like necessarily they have the quarterback answer yet um you know if they play toronto eight times they'll be very very good they certainly have toronto's number uh as we seem to run the calgary playbook but other than those matchups i i don't like calgary very much yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent on mayor either i think he's fun to watch i don't know how he's going to do knowing that there is no safety net anymore we'll see how that goes so uh, i've got ottawa six uh, and uh, and to kind of make us all the same again, I think I've got Calgary at five. Uh, and just basically for the reasons you outlined, I'm not going to put them any little lower than that because they've burned me. But uh, I don't see I don't even see how they're going to be the fifth best team. But I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. They're my fifth. If your fifth is Saskatchewan, we're all even again. Is that where you have them? Um, no, I have I have I, I can't quit Saskatchewan. I have them a little higher. Okay, who's your five? Uh, my five is uh, your BC Lions. Okay, who you enjoy traveling out to see uh, each year? I, I that I'm I'm thinking about not doing that trip ever again until they until they win one because uh, those last few have not been good. I, I think they're going to be fine. Um, you know, Vern Adams, uh, the wide receiver core is still pretty good, although no Burnham. Um, they lost their running back. Uh, they, you know, they lost Williams. Um, I, I think they're a good team, but without Rourke, I think it showed last year. Without Rourke, they're not. 
I mean, that they just aren't the same thing. They're just kind of uh, a good team with a couple of really good wide receivers and um, not, I, I think Butler's a big loss. I really, you know, I do. I think he, he complemented that receiving skill. And I don't think that Adams is the answer to the question if the question is who will win a Grey Cup. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know what to think of them. I, I, I think they're so tight together. To me, they had the most continuity of of these guys, like when I'm putting them up against Calgary and Saskatchewan. So I just think they end up on top of those three. So I've got BC at four. And uh, is this now number four where you have Saskatchewan? Are you going even higher than that? <laughs> I am going higher. Well, give me, you're, you've got Saskatchewan in your top three? I do. You're, okay, this... <laughs> This has become a farce, but okay, let's continue on. So, so who pray tell is your fourth ranked team? Uh, my fourth ranked team is Hamilton. Okay. Mm, I think that, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if they're going to go with the two quarterback plan. Um, I, I'm guessing not. Uh, they have a veteran there. So again, that's a high floor. Um, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, I think Bo Levi gets them to, to eight or nine wins. Um, I, I don't think much more than that, but um, I like, I like the, I like the additions. Uh, you know, I think the, the defensive line is going to be good. I mean, they, the, the secondary definitely uh, um, got, got stripped down. Um, so that's why I don't have them higher. But if, if you look at Hamilton, I thought that if you look at Hamilton at the end of last year, I thought that they looked like a solid football team. And uh, I thought that they've, they've made some they've made some good additions. And, you know, comes if he's got one more year in that arm, you know, or he wants to prove Calgary wrong, uh, I think they're going to be dangerous. Like I, I much rather play BC than Hamilton if I'm the Argos. I, I get that. I do get that. Uh, and I, I think like to me, to me, Hamilton is is my number three team. And so I've got yeah, Hamilton three, BC four, Calgary five, Ottawa six, Saskatchewan seven, Edmonton eight, Montreal nine. We're mostly the same, but Saskatchewan has made it into your top three. Please tell me they are at least number three. In uh, your they top are three. number three. And we've finally caught up. Um, what do you think? I, why do you think the the Riders are going to be the third uh, best team? I, I don't in know Canadian what football? happened last year. I don't know. You know, I think like, uh, well, I know what happened. They went to Halifax, and then everything exploded into a diehard level of um, fire. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen again. Uh, they were a good team last year that just absolutely imploded and i don't think that's going to happen again um i think uh you know trevor harris or or dane harris or uh <clears throat> whatever you, harris. you know trevor evans whatever sort of name you want to use for that generic um veteran quarterback uh he is going to move the ball decently uh they got our guy blake i like the micah johnson signing i think they still have good running backs I think they still have good wide receivers. Uh, and, you know, there's Saskatchewan. I, I just think that whatever the juju was in that locker room last year, it was terrible. Starting with those two Argo losses where they look good. And then all of a sudden, 
<laughs> they blew that lead against Toronto and then I guess just punched each other in the face for the rest of the season. Um, so I'm going to bank that that's not going to happen again. Um, and that they are going to bounce back to be a team to be reckoned with. I, I think they've, I think they've made a couple of improvements and um, they, the last year was they, I, I just think, you know, you talk about like, um, you know, beyond your goal, you know, expected goal average, you know, where the shooting percentage was low. I think last year, you know, they had a really off shooting percentage year and that this year they will, they will return to return to being a, a strong team out West, the, the second strongest. I hope they do for your sake. Um, Cause this is bold <laughs> number three, but I, yeah, I like their, I like their coaching staff. I like Kelly Jeffrey as the, as the new OC. I just think they're going to take some time, but yeah, that's, you know, it's, I think it's good for the league when the Riders are a good, successful team. So, um, you know, I'm, I am hoping for that. Well, in, and in also, that way. I think Saskatchewan will simply demand it. <laughs> yeah, they may just force it to happen. So we'll see. All right, we've got the same top two, JB. Uh, who's your number two? Uh, my number two is uh, your Toronto Argonauts. Um, they, like, the I would have them number one if McLeod was back. McLeod not coming back has to knock them down to two. That it just is, you know, it just is how is how it is. Like I talked about, look around the league. Like veteran quarterbacks are the currency of the, of the league. Um, and I think that Toronto has had a great offseason. I love uh, everyone that they brought back, and I like the decisions they made um, in terms of improving the defense. But the secondary is is weaker. And quarterback position is a question mark. So you, you you can't be the number one team with a question mark at quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Everything you said. Um, I also have Toronto number two. Um, you just yeah, you can't you can't you can't have you can't have Chad Kelly's Argos as one yet because we have but to I, see. It. I think that front eight is going to be impressive. That they that's what I'm banking. I really do. I think that that front eight is going to be like Winnipeg's has been. I, at least that's my hope that they're looking to create a Winnipeg style, um, you know, just a machine that's getting after the quarterback. There's also a reality where Toronto's DBs sort themselves out too. Like maybe Parnell Motley is gold. Maybe Jamal Peters comes back from the NFL. Like the, or maybe Sha- yeah. Shaq signs. Like there, there are pathways to the DBs improving. And like you said, I don't. There's not a better. There's not a better front seven in in the CFL. I don't think it's particularly. No, close. I, I don't think so either. So yeah, I but uh, but yeah, because of the little bit of uncertainty at quarterback, Toronto's two, Winnipeg's one. Winnipeg, Winnipeg was the best team in the league last year. They lost the Grey Cup. Toronto was better in the Grey Cup, and Toronto deserved to win the Grey Cup. But I think Winnipeg was the better football team, sort of start to finish of the season last year, and I think they're better than they were last year. I think they've made some really nice and frightening yeah, ads. I, I, so. I agree. Yeah, they're going to be. I mean, O'Shea signed his son. <laughs> I saw that too. That's not. I'm not. I'm not worried about uh, Michael O'Shea Jr. I still Jr., think we but... should have signed him. I think if you if you can if you can take hostage the son of your uh, opposing general, I think yeah. you do that. But that's okay. We'll see if it comes back to haunt. Well, JB, those are our power rankings in the books, and I'm going to let you go now as I bring on Hoagie and uh, ask him all sorts of uh, hard hitting questions about the draft and this 
blue helmet that I've got here in front of me. So uh, we'll catch up soon. And uh, right now, I'd like to welcome to the program the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Argonauts, as well as Toronto Argonauts Manager Communications, Mike Hogan. Mike, it's it's been a long time. We haven't talked. I don't know. This is not exactly face-to-face, but whatever this is, uh, we haven't talked in a long time. So it's it's really good to see you. Thanks for joining me. I'm only here because I thought JB was doing it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. it's good to see you, pal, as always. So, I, if I think before we get into anything, there's so much I want to talk to you about. I, I love, I love talking football with you. We've had some, we've had some great talks, and whether it's about the the Eagles and Bengals, or about the Argonauts, or about U Sports football, uh, we both love football. We love talking football. We're going to focus almost exclusively Argonauts today, if we can help it. But, but yeah, if, if, you know, I knew if, there was a butt coming there somewhere, we'll, we'll try our best. But, um, if, uh, you know, if the, if the Eagles end up making their way into the conversation or, uh, or the Queens golden gales or anything like that, uh, don't be surprised. So before we get into the piece that I really want to talk about today, I have to ask you, Mike, because the, the blue helmet thing has exploded on social media and you know for those that are that are watching on our youtube channel i've got a, a little mini uh blue argos helmet that i threw together this thing is spectacular first of all and and i you know hoagie you know that i i will always give my honest opinion and i think i get accused a lot of being very pro argo because i think in my heart i am but i try to be fair with this i don't think the argos have always had the best helmets there were some that i thought were terrible this particular helmet i think is the best in the league uh what are your thoughts on it well, thank you, and and I know everybody will be excited to hear that. And and when we put the uh, the teaser up, and then finally with the with the spectacular rolling video that the guys put together that was highlighted with the final shot of of the helmet, the replica of which you were holding, uh, the overwhelming response was wow. And uh, I will admit, uh, I was kind of at first, but I saw a different incarnation of that. So this has been. This is not just hey, let's throw this together in a week. This has been y- literally years in the making. So um, to see the finished product, the way that it came out, any hesitation that I had is now way in the rearview mirror. I think this is a smoke show for a helmet, and uh, I just I, I I can't wait to see what the entire uniform looks like. Yeah. So when do we get to see the entire uniform? Was this always like a planned rollout? We'll do the helmet first. We'll get into the uniform later. Piece it all together. You'll have to find out, won't you? <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. And mm-hmm. have Let's you known? Right now, not saying anything else, but it's no, it's it'll be out obviously before our first preseason game. So you can like we're not going to roll out last year's uniform. So there's a spoiler alert: it will be out before we take the field for our first preseason game. All right. Well, that one's that's that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. Did you find out about this in the early stages? Because I know like everyone's been able to keep it. Pretty locked down. I I hear things a lot. I didn't know anything about this. I knew nothing about the new uniforms, nothing about the the helmet, nothing leaked at all. How many people were were in on this? Oh boy, Um, enough. Um, It's pretty impressive then. The 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 shot that you see where Oakman and Kelly have the two bags and they open them up and they kind of look inside. That was done for a TS. No, it was a league video shoot, maybe a month ago. That's the first time any of the players have seen it. Uh, our marketing department's seen it. 
uh, Chris Schufelt rolled this out. I don't know if it was two or three years ago now. Like this has been building to 150. And um, uh, it's amazing everybody kept quiet. I, I, I know Danny Webb obviously had some input on this, uh, our marketing department. Uh, so a lot of folks at MLSE, uh, not just Argos oriented either. I mean, big company. This 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 is a fairly major project. So uh, it was it was a few people, but not a lot of people at the same time, if that makes sense. And uh, thankfully, everybody's kept the lid on it. And uh, the the reaction of the of folks when that helmet was released was very very gratifying. Oh yeah, no the the comments have been and the only people that that don't like it are Hamilton Tiger Cats fans, but they weren't going to like it no matter what. But and there are some fans who don't like change just because it's change. I mean that happens in True. every aspect of life. So um, you know it, it, those are also the same types you know who like that tradition that if it was up to them we wouldn't have numbers on the jerseys. So <laughs> you know things do evolve, and sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't. I'm kind of of the mindset where if we went back to 1983, I'd be really happy uh, because that's my favorite incarnation of the entire package. Uh, but uh, I, I, from what I've seen so far, it's looked pretty good. Yeah. And for the traditionalists, like there's a lot of that element in here, right? Like the, the color, the the Cambridge blue is a, a traditional Argos color. Like that's part of the double blue, which I think has been lost a lot. Like I, I have enjoyed the last few seasons when they've brought out those those Cambridge blue pants. I think that's a, just a, a killer ensemble to go with the, the like Oxford blue uh, jersey. But yeah, my favorite Argos helmet of all time, again, this is not as good for the people not watching on YouTube, but behind me, um, just over my, my left shoulder here, the the Argos helmet that I sort of grew up with, with the original boat logo design. Um, the I, I love when they in the light blue sail, which is almost yeah. identical to the helmet you're holding right now. Right, and so you're tying in parts of the past. You know, these yes. the 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 Cambridge blue helmets. Those go back to the to like the you know the early early days. Uh, we're talking like, like 50s and before. When when we brought back the boat logo. After having the A, let's say Ricky Ray era with the A on the on the helmet, um, when we went back to the boat two years ago, just I can't, I guess it was just before COVID, um, the response was ridiculously positive. Like I've been here five year, five years, that might be the most positive thing I've ever seen in terms of reaction. Um, so we knew that at some level the boat had to be involved. Uh, somebody pointed out, uh, I wish I could give them credit, but they pointed out that the light blue helmet really makes the boat logo pop. And it does. You can now see it better. So it's, it, I think it works. You know, I'm, I'm sure everybody, not everybody's going to like it. Uh, you know, a lot of people love the Jason Shield logo, which I never warmed up to. I will admit freely, that wasn't my thing. Uh, but a lot of people love that. So, I mean, different strokes for different po uh, folks when it comes to uniforms and helmets and logos and colors. And uh, But, uh, you know, uh, last year when everybody on our team was standing on the stage in Regina with the Grey Cup, I don't think anybody cared what the uniform looked like. Yeah, that's, the, you know, once you're holding the Grey Cup, you can be wearing whatever at that point. But yeah, like you're saying, the contrast is beautiful. There's, there's so much, there's so much to like with it. Really, there's, there's nothing, nothing negative to say at all. So um, in terms of uh, moving forward, and something that I want to highlight for all of our listeners and viewers, 
If you get a chance to, you have to get to Argonauts.ca to look at Mike Hogan's piece on the draft. And that's what we're going to transition to here, Mike. This is, can you give us a little bit of background? I know you and I have talked about it before, but for people that haven't uh, heard us go through this, this piece of yours before, it's my favorite read of the year. Can you tell me kind of just quickly how it began for those uh, for whom this is an entirely new edition? Well, thank you for the kind words. This started uh, whichever year uh, Anthony Coombs was drafted. Uh, I was writing articles for TSN at the time when I was when I was still in the, in the media business and working on radio. And I went up to Barker when Jim Barker was GM, Scott Milano, which was head coach. And I said, you know what I get sick of every draft when every general manager in every league says, oh, we couldn't believe he was still on the board. He was our number one pick. And... I was like 99% of the people who go, bull, not the truth. And so I said, can I write about it? And he went, it's kind of, you know, that's that's what we do for a living. I said, look, I'm not going to mention any names. And he said, okay, that helps. And he said, don't mention any trade talk um, because it's unfair to the, to the person on either team that they may be dealt or being discussed being dealt and don't get dealt. And he ran up by Scott Milanovic, and Milanovic said, that's a hell of an idea, let's do it. So uh, that was the first one, excuse me, and that's basically the only rules. Don't write about guys we don't draft by name. Um, don't talk about guys who are in trade discussion. And I think this year in the article, uh, it was the first year, I think, that the Argos didn't get the guy they wanted. First, um, the Castro they wanted, uh, they, they wanted McKellar, um, Boy, who else? They wanted Coombs. Like, there's the, basically every, they, they wanted a Brissette. Um, all of these guys are guys that they wanted. And this year they didn't get that guy. Spoiler alert. I, I wrote about that in the article. Uh, but they did get the number one rated guy on their board who just happens to be, you know, going down to the NFL. So um, I try to keep that. I, I, I write honestly. Um, I try not to write anything that the team is going to be really upset about yet at the same time be able to tell the story as accurately as I, as I can. So, uh, again, I think, uh, I think I was very fair and very open, and there's really nothing I didn't, uh, I didn't say that wasn't true in the article. And to, uh, to sort of, I guess, explain you know, why that might be is, uh, in terms of why the Argos didn't get the guy they're looking for, the Argos didn't have a first-round pick this year for the first time in a little while. Is that something that, like, did you did you feel within the room? I, I I can't imagine there's any regret at this point because Jordan Williams still we're talking about yeah. the first overall player of the 2020 draft. So you know Jordan Williams is probably going to be better than anyone the Argos were going to be taking at nine anyway. So I, I can't imagine there was you know uh, head shakes around the room like why did we make that trade and bring in the number one overall pick from a few years ago. Oh, not not at all. Like there was no way Jordan Williams was dropping to nine in the draft this year. And you know, with the roll of the dice uh, with Jared Wayne in the second round, this could be we're getting a really good player, and the other was a roll in the dice. Or five years from now, we could be looking back, going, "Can you believe the two players they scored in that draft were Jordan Williams and Jared Wayne?" <laughs> like this, this could be one of the great drafts of all time, especially if the guys down the road uh, pan out, which we're, we have every confidence that they will. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we got the guy that would have been the top of everybody's board this year, I think in Jordan Williams and the guy that was the highest rated player on our board in Jared Wayne. So yeah, pretty happy. 
how different was the mood in this draft compared to others without that first round pick? Was it was there a sense of it being more laid back or is it the opposite that was true because it's so much less certain? Like I know they do you know a billion mock drafts and and go through every possible scenario. That's far easier when you're picking, you know, two or five or eight or whatever the the pick is when you're picking 16. Uh, is that does that make it more stressful or less? I think it was more like a different kind of stress, if that makes any any sense at all. I mean, last year, let's go back to the McKellar draft. Uh, what was he, sixth or seventh in the, in the draft? There were there, there were a handful of guys, a half dozen guys, uh, who could have possibly gone before him. This year, you're, you're sitting uh, in the, at the end of the second round almost, and there were so many different possibilities. Will there be a run on this position at this time? Is there a guy that could draft? You know, they are dropped. They, they they did a lot of mock drafts, and the one guy that basically everybody seemed to be on on board with, um, there was there were multiple opportunities for him to fall, just the way that the board could go. Who would be taking NFL guys early? Those fringe guys that might be back earlier than you expect. Uh, guys that you want to report to camp immediately. Um, if if they see that there's a guy who's going back and, and, and can get another year of seasoning, uh, that does come into play, whether or not a team is going to pick a guy in a certain spot. So, um, you know, it, there was there was an opportunity, sadly for the Argos, it didn't work out. But happily for the Argos, it didn't work out because Jared Wayne is now an Argo. Yeah, Jared Wayne is he was the the top receiver by far on my board, but I had lowered him down to actually 16 because I wasn't I, I was pretty sure he wouldn't make it to uh, to the CFL this year at the very least. And it, it may even be a couple of years. He's he's a really good player and watching his film at Pittsburgh with a quarterback that I didn't think was fantastic. Uh, he was incredible. And so. It's funny because, okay. as you mentioned, he lost his core. Like Kenny Pickett goes to the NFL and Addison goes to the USC. All of a sudden, hey, Jared Wayne, you're the pit offense. Go. And, yeah. uh, you know, he got injured during the season, but still did really well. I mean, uh, for those of you who watch our show, Gridiron Nation on TSN, we talked a lot about Jared Wayne this year. And, um, you know, it was, I think it was a disappointing year because of the injury. But at the same time, when he got back from him, he, he looked great again. So uh, I don't think any. CFL team would have had any hesitation selecting him. We just got to him first. If he makes his way to the CFL, which I think is still a pretty good proposition, he has a chance to be the best Canadian receiver in the league. And I think not just a chance, a really good chance. He did some special things down south. Now, that said, it, it was there was there hesitation at all? Because you've got uh, so many receivers that were on the board. I remember as that pick was was coming in, as the Argos were on the clock, I was looking through my own board and I saw receiver after receiver, great skilled Canadian receivers uh, like like Clark Barnes, for example, Jeremy Murphy. Uh, the, you know, there's so many guys you could go with that you knew for sure would be able to play on for the team this year. And yet, unquestionably, Wayne is better than all of them. However, you know, he may not make it here. Like, how do they how do they weigh that? What what was the discussion like for something like that? The discussion for Wayne was he's the best player on the board. Uh, the guy that we wanted, who we thought could make the team this year, wasn't available. Let's go get him. Let's get Wayne now. Uh, in the interim, still got Brissett, still got Neil, still, you know, still have uh, Brissett. Uh, this Curly Gittins Jr. guy isn't bad. <laughs> Unger's over from, from Hamilton. And... 
you know, the assumption was, okay, maybe we get another receiver later on the draft, which they did in Richard Burton, uh, who was, you mentioned that cluster of Canadians, Burton was atop that cluster on the Argos board. Uh, so they not only got the best receiver they thought by skill, uh, but the best guy on the board after that, which was, uh, uh, it was funny because they had a whiteboard and they had like position by position and receivers were in the middle and they had them list like the number one guy, like Wayne would be up here. And then the number two guy, if he was, you know, position X would be here. And then another guy and this, the magnets that they had the names on just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and right in the middle of the board with nothing around him was Richard Burton. So it was like, okay, this might be the easiest pick we had. So it was, it, it, it's not a neat position, but they like Burton a lot, but let's face it, uh, going into a pro camp, I think Jared Wayne would be a, above Burton on anybody's draft board. But uh, you know, the, the, the thought is, uh, the Burton can be really good. Uh, I know you went to the combine and if there was one, th I, I, I saw Burton play quite a bit at Queens and the one thing, if there was one stat that surprised me from the combine, it was his 40 time because he plays a lot faster than he was on the clock. Um, he has a real penchant for being able, being able to beat guys deep. His routes are so smooth. So he's got really good hands, uh, likes to block. Um, so that's, that's a, big thing at the pro level. So uh, they're really happy that, that Burton was available. So to come out of the draft with Wayne and Burton is uh, a, a pretty good one-two punch at that position. And I think the Argos were in a great position in that they you, you've outlined some of the other Canadians on, on the roster. There's not really a position of weakness. Receiver was one where, you know, there might be some turnover in, in the next year and we don't really know how that's all going to work out. But that was one where I felt like if if the right guy was there, then they they should probably make that pick. But that's the nice thing about having a well-rounded roster. The Argos didn't need anybody in this draft. They could have gone into the season without any of these players and been fine. And there are not many teams in the league where you could say that was the case. In fact, I don't know if there are any other teams in the league where you could say that. But that really allowed them to take who they felt was the best player. And that kind of gets to, it transitions to the round three pick, uh, Adam Gillamet, the long snapper from Holy Cross. This is a, a, another guy that I was really hoping the Argos would get a chance to take because I felt he was the best long snapper in the draft. And I felt that he was, he's a really special player. And I don't, I don't talk about special teams a lot. It's not a huge area of interest for me compared to offense, but Watching him snap the football is extremely impressive. And he would be an upgrade over just about every team's long snapper in the CFL. And I think given what I've seen him do, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is the best long snapper in the CFL, you know, in a, in a year or two. Uh, was, there, there were some criticisms about the position going as high as it did. Um, put it this way. If you could draft Jake Reinhardt in the third round, would you have done it 10 years ago? Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. So and I think that's, that's what they're hoping for. And not just that, if you if you are going to draft a guy that is going to get playing time and potentially be one of the best at his position in the league, I think you draft I think you draft that in the second round. I don't think you you even have to wait for the third round, but you know, they the Argos know that traditionally you don't see a lot of long snappers drafted early on. There was one taken, uh, Luke Burton Cron taken by Edmonton uh, in that same round, and that probably made people nervous. And I think you alluded to that in your article. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a little nervous. But uh, don't forget, um, he's a linebacker with long snaps, right? This, 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 Edmonton already has their long snapper. They drafted him last year. Um, 
this is a guy who can play special teams, play linebacker, and long snap. It might have been unfair to him to have listed him as a, as the long snapper first. Our guy's a long snapper. That's what he does. That's what, that's his bread and butter. He's exceptionally good at it. Um, there was discussion about him in the second round. Um, if there was one guy that the Argos wanted to come out of uh, the draft with, it was Gilliman. That that was him. That was the target. That was, that was the guy. And uh, they were the, there were uh, there was there were some pretty happy people in the war room when he was available in the third round. Would. It, would you say there was one particular draft pick where there was jubilation around the draft table, where it was really the shock of being able to get somebody in that round? Was there someone that stood I out? Don't, I don't think so. Uh, this this wasn't last year, especially without a Boye um, or Anthony Coombs, which was another big bit of relief because there was a real fear that year that Calgary was going to take him. Um, essentially as as a relief guy for John Cornish so they could make that position uh, Canadian um you know and have the backup to go with them but um nothing like that I, I think it was they were happy to get Wayne they were relieved to get Gillamette and then the others were just okay some of these guys we don't need let's just get guys who can come in either this year or next year and make us a better team as you mentioned the the, the Canadian depth here is fabulous um, there's, there was no pressing need to bring in somebody immediately. Um, this is a team that could probably start nine Canadians very easily without batting an eye, uh, maybe 10, uh, if you wanted to turn the running back position into an all Canadian duo. So, um, yeah, there, there was no elation. It was just very businesslike, um, because it kind of had an idea of who they wanted in which spot. And there weren't too many times, uh, where there was a, a guy picked, you know, immediately before, um the Argos selection it was uh, it was an interesting draft from that standpoint it seemed every team kind of had their guys and I'm sure every team if they wrote this article would be saying the same thing for the most part uh the only uh disappointment was probably in round two but again uh that was uh that was that was uh that was softened quite a bit shall we say with with Wayne's availability if you haven't read the piece, you've got to go do that. Every every Argus fan should. I think every CFL fan should. I enjoy seeing I enjoy seeing the pieces that come out from around the league. And I think you might have started something, Mike, because now there's you know people have got got video content and and other teams have started doing similar things. But I don't think any quite have the the detail or the in depth coverage that you do from from draft night. So it's called Hogan in the War Room, and that is that's available on Argonauts.ca. Now, Mike, before I let you go, I got to ask you, because we're we're just around the corner from camp starting, um, which means it's really close to football season. There's not nearly as many new faces this year as we've had in each of the last two training camps. I, you know, one year where there was you know, like 80 new guys that were that were coming in uh, this year. It's they're far more conservative because we know by and large who's lining up where. Is there one player in particular that you're really interested in seeing at camp and maybe i'll uh, give you my answer first and give you some time to, oh, yeah. to think about it but the guy i'm really excited about is parnell motley cornerback yeah. uh, or defensive yeah. back uh, oklahoma i i you know as i always do anytime the argo signs someone i'll start watching some film and and you know write down some notes maybe some things to look for and they don't always play the same positions that they do in college or in the nfl and motley immediately was an eyebrow raiser this guy is is 
super skilled and to me was an immediate potential answer uh, for the vacated cornerback position um, for uh, Jamal Peters, who uh, we, we wish the best of luck to in Atlanta. Uh, and I can't wait to get down to Guelph to see what he looks like on a Canadian football field. And yeah, that was, uh, I didn't know much of anything about him until, you know, Vince Magri let us know that uh, we were going to bring this guy in and started like you did, started going and looking at video and okay, there's something there. We'll see, we'll see what happens. And, you know, with Jamal Peters not back in camp, uh, he's still with Atlanta, who knows what's going to happen to that position. So uh, there is a job for the taking and he's got as good a shot as anybody, I, I reckon. So that's, that's, that's a good one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about McMahon at running back. Deontay McMahon, we just signed him. Um, uh, if you want to go in that position, because it wasn't a position of need, but, you know, our front office is always trying to upgrade the position. So I'm curious. He had a spectacular uh, career in the NC2A, and uh, we'll see how that translates. Sometimes guys jump in, they don't have much of a profile, and, you know, zoom right to the top. A.J. Ouellette may be a perfect example of that. Uh, and other times a guy with a bigger profile will come in and bust. Um, there, if there are two guys, same position, that I'm, I'm I'm kind of curious to see. I want to see what Jared Brickman can do with a full camp and a full year of CFL under his belt. Uh, he came in, played in the Grey Cup last year, and there were times he looked unblockable. Or, you know, he's going to take two virtually every time. And at the same position, Deontay Knight, uh, who we picked last year, battled through injuries right from training camp on. Um uh, he's got a year of experience now in terms of film, um, was able to, you know, spend a lot of time at practice when he wasn't injured getting in. And I, I want to see what he can do because I was as excited about getting him last year as anybody. I I didn't dream he would drop to the 10 spot a year ago. So um, those are probably the two guys. And, you know, I, uh, I think, you know, a lot of fans, when they watch the game, they just watch the quarterback drop back. Um, I'm always watching line plays, so I'm curious to see what they can do. Yeah, those guys, I, I expect to to take a step. And like you said, like Brinkman was was such oh. a, a really unheralded too. Like not many people have talked about that his performance in the Grey Cup. But yeah, he was a machine. And so yeah, knowing knowing the game a little bit better, having that full camp, knowing exactly what he's you know with the sort of shape he's got to get into uh, for for CFL versus you know playing down south. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how he shows up. Yeah, Knight, we're we're super excited about and McMahon, like you mentioned, this is a guy Deonta McMahon. Uh, watch his highlight tape. Go just go to YouTube. Watch the highlights uh, for uh, McNeese, I think, right? And yeah, um, yeah. and man, man, is it exciting? Uh, there there he, was a lot of down. Sorry, there was a lot of downtime draft day, right? You know, there was uh, the international draft, the global draft. Rather, was at eleven o'clock, and then we had nine hours to wait because I think the global draft. I wrote in the article. I think was nineteen minutes from beginning to end. So. Um, they busted out some McMahon video we were watching at the war room in Vince Magri's office. And uh, I'm just going, ooh, like some of the cuts this guy makes are just ridiculous. Um, you know, a couple times you could see him get caught after making a few of these jukes uh, downfield, but well downfield. But boy, he's that kind of guy. I know it's, there's the old cliche about making a guy missing a phone booth but uh he would be one of those guys and i don't know what the modern version of that expression is because no one knows what a phone booth is anymore <laughs> under a certain age so we've got to find yeah, a new sure. one but yeah that um it looks like there's frames missing from the from the video because that's how quickly he moves it's like wait you know how did he how, how did he get over there what did i miss and i'm sure Charles the defenders Roberts had the great 
Charles Roberts had the great nickname Blink. Uh, this would be a pretty good nickname for this. We can't steal it, obviously, because Charles Robert, Blink Roberts is a Hall of Famer. But uh, I just he's the same kind of if you think you if you think as a linebacker or DB you're set, don't set too early. <laughs> it's because he's he's going to make you miss. Yeah, no, for sure. He'll he'll be he'll be fun to watch, and maybe maybe that's a guy that gets a, a chance to return some some kicks and punts too, because I think he will certainly enjoy the extra space that the Canadian Football League field provides him. Mike, Absolutely. you've been really generous with your time. I appreciate so much uh, you coming on and, and joining me on the show today. Um, is is there is there anything that you would like to plug that you would like to let our viewers or listeners know uh, before we sign off? Yeah, t- buy tickets. That's what I'm going to say. Um, we have seen an increase the last couple of years in season ticket holders. Um, that's going to go up again this year for sure. Um, you know, the team is good. I don't know if it'll win a great cup again, but it's going to be competitive from week one. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So you're, you should be entertained by the product on the field. We're trying to get everything going off the field as well to make the in-game experience as good as possible. Uh, we think we're doing that. We're going to have some more bells and whistles. And this is our 150th anniversary, right? Ticats aren't the oldest football team. Go and look at the 1949 CFL standings and tell me where the Tiger Cats finished. They weren't. They weren't around. Um, so this is an opportunity to celebrate. We've got a lot planned. Uh, we have a, a news conference coming up later in the month. We're holding it at the Argonaut Rowing Club, where we were born. Uh, you know, the Rowing Club uh, founded in 1872. A year later, they said, hmm, how do we stay in shape between rowing season and hockey? Oh, there's this new football thing. Let's try it. Uh, and it kind of kicked off and we went down for a site visit. And it was remarkable how many old football photos they still have in the Rowing Club um, from, you know, 1904 and 1922 and the Invincibles from 1921 and just all of these great, great, great football players and teams are represented. So um, there will be a little bit more incorporation. You saw that with the video and uh, to, to kick off the helmet, um, you know, celebrating our past. I'll leave it at that. We're going to be doing that a lot this year. And, and I think in some very spectacular ways. So uh, I'm really, really pumped. Get on board. We've got some announcements coming um, late in the month. Um, so I, I, I don't know if we're able to give out the date yet, but, uh, it's coming and I can't wait to share everything because the work that has gone on, um, I can tell you one project took hundreds and hundreds of man hours to get ready for. So we're really looking forward to that. That sounds great. I've always said it's the it's the best deal in the city. It's the best value. Going to an Argos game is tremendous value from food prices, beer prices, ticket prices, and then the entertainment value. It's really good football. So, yeah, if you haven't got your tickets yet, make sure you take care of that. Season tickets are, again, tremendous deal. So, yeah, you want to take advantage of that. On sale. Get there for the opener. It's the Tabby Kitties, and we get to unfurl the championship banner in front of our arch rivals. Go there. They're going to be bringing folks down from the QEW. Make sure that we are loud and proud and get a chance to see some history in, in what is going to be an historic season of, of 150. Um, get there and see the banner unfurled. Um, you know, it's been five years. Let's go do it again. Thanks so much, Mike. I really appreciate uh, you spending this time with us today. Always love our chats, pal. Thank you. 
Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For Mike Hogan and JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the fight.